Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello there and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And on today's show, another David is on board. This gentleman has crafted a book that is probably, I, you know what? I think I said this the other day. I've got a top 10 favorite books for you to read in this summer, right? Top 10. However, I think I'm going to have to expand that to either 11 or 12 or, or Baker's Dozen, 13, because with the influx of books I'm reading, there are so many great books out there, and I want you to have, like, the best list. Anyway, let me cut to the chase. David Ellis has written a book called Look Closer. He's waiting in the green room, so let's get right to it. Please welcome David Ellis on The Thriller Zone. From one David to another. Yes. How are you? I'm so good. I hope you are. Do I call you Justice? No, Lord, please do not do that. You are more than fine with Dave or whatever you'd like. I usually go by Dave, but okay. the author is David's. I don't care. Sure. If you, do you go by David? I like David. I also go by Dave. Dave was the name forever. But, uh, you know, you can call me Your Highness, Your El Excellency, sure. David. Excellency, dude. <laughs> um, so, Ed, you seem like a guy who should be on TV, David. Well, God bless you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I did do a little TV work. You must have. Yeah. My first career was radio. I had radio shows all over the country. What kind of radio shows would you do? Uh, fun. Big morning shows, laughs, music, interviews. 25 years, New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. And the TV was mostly. I did do a TV producer for a while and a little bit of anchor work, but uh, I I'm too much of a knucklehead. I just you know I could, like if you started talking really substantial politics and stuff, I'm like yeah duh duh. <laughs> I doubt that. Meat meat talk purdy. That's about it. Meat talk purdy. Well, yeah. that's a good skill these days talking yeah. purdy. <laughs> now Where you're. Are you from? I was going to say North Carolina, and you're in Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. From Chicago. Yeah, more or less. I was born here, spent a few years in Kansas, and developed an affinity for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Kansas City Royals, particularly the Chiefs that I cannot shake. I've lived in Chicago for like 50 years, but my first love is still the Chiefs over the Bears, and nobody, including my family, can understand it. Wow, that is something. Yeah, which meant, you know, if you follow sports at all, you probably followed at least a little. Um, uh -huh. I suffered for about 48 of those 50 years. And then we finally, you know, we got Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and and now it's fun to be a Chiefs fan. It didn't used to be, I promise you. Yeah, he has brought a bit of life to that party, hasn't he? You know, I really, it's Andy Reid more than anything. I mean, yeah. he, he, Mahomes is awesome, and I love the guy. He's my favorite player, you know, all that good stuff. But, yeah. but you know, uh, Andy, Patrick Mahomes could have been drafted by the Bears, and the Bears kind of famously passed on him and Deshaun Watson and picked Mitch Trubisky and uh, who you should probably know pretty well because he's a North Carolina boy, right? Yeah. And um, and I always think what would have happened if they'd flipped, put Mitch Trubisky on the Chiefs, would he have kind of not done well? My guess is he would have done just fine. Yeah. Because Andy Reid's a really good coach. And how would a guy like Pat Mahomes have done on the Bears? 
probably better than Trubisky, but would he be like some big time guy? I'm not at all sure. I, I really think the coach makes a big difference. Yeah. Oh, I think the coach is a, a whole lot more of it than maybe some people will give it credit for. Yeah. 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 You know, you, you're bringing back some memories because when I lived in Chicago, this would have been, uh, let's see, my first gig in Chicago was 87. And then I bailed around 92. And uh, the Chicago Bears watching, that's when football was real football colder than hell yeah. and uh just brutal i miss those days it was uh yeah and that was right after the super bowl so um so we had a real team that that, that the dick the ditka years ditka um, years yeah really good years but but we lost our defense coordinator buddy ryan and we were never the same after he left so i mean it, it matters you know yeah. the players matter but the coaches do too it was where, where so you were with a radio station back then yeah let's see uh or started out at uh, wclr which became big yeah. mix 102 yeah yeah of course and uh yeah and then i went to uh, fyr yes chicago's fire which became something crazy when man cow replaced me so man cow took your place okay quite a character you probably had a chance to meet him I, I, i've done his show i think just one time that's all you need to do yeah yeah it was um but it was it was later it was in 20 actually i remember it must have been 2014 because it was the year i became a judge oh um, and, uh, I just happened to remember I had something going on right at that time. And I went to the man cow morning show. And so he was no longer on one of the major stations, you know, it's every, you know, the, the life of a radio DJ these days. Uh, and so he was doing something more independent, but he was being broadcast by some people, however yeah. it worked. And he seemed like he was out of it, to be honest. Like he seemed like a different guy, like, not that I knew him before that, but well, he came on like a house on fire, trying yeah. to give uh, Howard Stern a run for his money, trying to be yeah. that big, bold, brash. And I think he just got a little steam taken out. Also, I think what you're referring to, he probably went to satellite. Yeah, which, I, I yeah. guess it was. Once you get off of tertiary or standard yeah. antenna radio, once you get out of that world, which is where I spent most of my career, you uh, are if you it's not relegated to because it's you can have a great career on yeah. satellite. But the only thing is you don't have that that spontaneous immediacy quite like re regular radio because everything happens in real time and the people on the right. street come in and do the show. So, yeah, it's a totally yeah. different. Totally different. I remember when Stern went and, and left tertiary. I remember when he announced that and it was such a huge deal. Yeah, it uh, it you know, the radio died, man. I, that's why I got out of it in 2000. I, it just through consolidation and getting gobbled up by big companies who gobbled up other companies. And then you're competing against your own company. It, it, you took all that competitive warfare of radio, which is all the fun of it. You took it away. So radio was fun. When I was growing up in Chicago, radio was fun. You had people. Um, you had these 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 larger than life sort of personalities, and yeah. you know TV wasn't that big then like it is now, and it's just it's just all changed. But yeah, I remember like Records right, Landecker and John Records Landecker, Murphy in the Morning, Wally Murphy. Uh, yeah, Murphy, I think is still doing some radio. Um, I only Johnny know B. Oh, Jonathan Brandmeier. Yeah, I mean, right. And um, all these people have tried to come back and reinvent themselves in different ways. And it's it's just really hard to it's really hard to do it again. It just seems like radio. I, I don't know who listens to radio. I hardly even listen to it anymore. 
No, and you know what? Podcasting is the new radio, which yeah. is which is why I, I think I'm doing pretty good on this format because this is what I was born to do, and I wanted to do since I was in you know in high school. So I'm just kind of I, I got out for 20 years, 20, whew, and then came back, and I'm, I, I intend to conquer the next incarnation. But this show isn't about me, David. This is a show about <laughs> you, yeah. bam, and this. It's- this hellacious page turning beast called Look Closer. I'm going to be real honest with you. I, I was going to talk about this later. I'm going to say this up front. I didn't know you. My my apologies for not knowing you. Sure, of course. But I saw this book. I'm a big fan of the cover. I look at this. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see what he's got going. Uh, people know this about me. Sometimes I'll check the back first. And while I go, well, James Patterson, he know what the hell he's talking about. Scott Turow. Hello. I started reading him when I was in high school. Yeah, he's great. And, and Hank uh, Philippi Ryan. Uh, beautiful. Then I go into the inside. I'm like, okay, what I like about this is you give us so little. I right. really like that. You don't tell me the whole story. But David, when I started reading this, all right, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't say this often. I do hyperbolize a few things because it's part of showbiz. And I yeah, do sure. I do repeat myself sometimes, but I don't say this phrase very often. Are you ready for it? I'm ready for it. I had the hardest friggin' time putting this book down. Well, good. I mean, <laughs> I read it in two days, which, you know. Uh, that's no mean feat for nearly 500 pages. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, you know, you try to, you try to do that. You try to write it in a way that people don't want to turn away from it. You try to keep the pace up so that it's hard to stop. If it starts getting into a sleepy pace, that's when you start feeling, okay, this is a good time to stop. I didn't want there to be a good time to stop. That's kind of my goal when I'm writing this. Uh, so the, the sticky note on your, uh, computer says, don't allow anybody to stop. All right. I'm going to do this one thing and then we're going to, we're going to go talk about you. Then we're going to come back. But I like the fact that each chapter is in, is titled by the name of the character speaking. And at first I know this isn't a brand new technique, but the way you did it really friggin' got my attention and you have to do it that way because if you don't, you get a little confused. Yes. So, so you get into first person with all these guys, and yeah, oh okay. yeah that was a that, that was a tough decision to make, and I didn't start with that decision. You know, when I do stuff with Patterson, his basic plan usually, and it was nice because it was also mine, was to uh, to have the protagonist be in the first person, and if you need to, some other points of view, fine, but do relegate them to third person. And I I realized very quickly that Vicky was a very strong character who needed her own voice, uh, her own first person voice. And then I ended up coming to the same conclusion about Christian. And I I almost did it for the fourth point of view, which was the, the police detective. She worked better in the third person for this book, but the others, um, they became so big to me as I was writing. I said, no, I have to let them talk. And they all sound a little different. Yeah. And because you don't want them sounding all the same and they shouldn't sound all the same because they're very different people. So, yeah, it ended up working out pretty well. I I didn't plan it that way to start. All right. Well, we're going to save some of the juice. Sure. The juice is in the heat, to quote Michael Mann from the movie Heat, which, by the way, Heat 2 is coming out uh, in theaters. Anyway. Right. Yeah. All right. So I'm Meg Gardner, by the way, co-writer of that on the show. Not to name drop, but it's kind of what I do. Meg, Meg Gardner is awesome. 
Don't get me started. She's a hero of mine. All right. Now, I want to back up a little bit because I did say I want to talk about you, and you're you're so approachable. I love this. I love the fact that I'm talking to a judge who is so approachable, and I'm not in trouble, so that's a bonus. And you're not in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just a few years ago, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like an idiot. I'm just going to tell you up front, so I'm okay there. Yeah. Uh, you were sworn in as the youngest serving justice of the Illinois Appellate Court for the First District. Now, is I'm, A, I'm guessing you're still fighting that fight, right? I still am an appellate judge, yes. I'm in my eighth year. Okay. I'm still the youngest. That is impressive. So excuse me, what is part of the silly part of the question? And that is, what exactly is the significance of being the youngest justice? Is it just because generally everybody's old farts? I mean, I mean, we we have some, you know, one of the judges in my division is 85. Uh, and the median age is probably 70. Um, a lot of people, David, are on the trial court first. So I'm on the appellate court, the Court of Appeals. So, um, you know, any case that comes out of the first district, which is Cook County, Illinois, which is dominated by Chicago. So all the crime out of Chicago and all the civil, any civil or criminal appeal goes to me. A lot of people are in the trial court first and they spend years doing that. They might spend 20 years as trial court judges or 15 and then run for the appellate court. I ran straight for the appellate court. Um, because I'm, I, I thought that was my skill set. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer, and uh, it's a it's a written job. It's a writing job. You don't see the parties very often. The lawyers might argue before you for 15 minutes, but the trials that's all happening in the in the court below me. So um, so yeah, I suppose I'm younger because I went straight to the appellate court. I ran for for that, but it it, it I thought it was a good fit, and I felt like I had a lot to say. I still do, which is why I'm still doing it. And, um, you know, it's it's worked out great. I guess it does beg the question, and we're going to get to this in the next question, but um, if you're do, if you're going to be doing as well as an author, how long will you be sitting in the robe on the big bench uh, until you just go, you know, I really just kind of dig the hours and the wardrobe of writing better? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of the work I do is from home anyways. Uh, everybody on our court has figured out, if they didn't already know, that, the, that this job is almost all electronic now. Oh, wow. um, if we want to, like I said, if, we, if, the, if the lawyers are going to argue their appeal to us, which not every case gets argued, but if it does, we can do that by Zoom. And we have, just like you and I, I would have a background behind me instead of this being my house, uh -huh. you'd see a courtroom and I'd be wearing a robe and a shirt and tie. Um, probably shorts and sandals beneath, right? But um, like everybody else, but uh, but otherwise, it's all electronic these days. The, the record gets sent to us electronically, meaning I can read the record of the trial on my computer at home. And so um, it's becoming, and we all knew this was coming someday. The pandemic gave it a big kick, but a lot of appellate judges are realizing that they can do stuff from home. In fact, David, a lot of the trial judges right now in, in Cook County are still doing most of their work from home wow. until we really get up and running again. Yeah, it's it's and you know what? It in, in a lot of ways, that's really good, because if what we're doing is trying to make things easier for people who come before us. Mm -hmm. Well, now you can have a lawyer who might have two cases to in, in a morning. One is in Cook County. One's in another county. But if they do it by Zoom, they can do both of them. Um, yeah. You have litigants who are coming to themselves to court, not the lawyers, but the people. 
And they now don't necessarily have to show up at the daily center and go through the metal detectors and wait and wait. They can just be on a Zoom at home so or at their workplace. Wow. So it's actually becoming, we're finding that this is becoming a really good thing in terms of access to justice. You know, we're having a lot less people miss court calls because it's a lot easier to do it now. So it's not perfect, but it's had a lot of upside. It's one of the only good things about the pandemic because there's not much good about it. No. But the fact that we've gotten so much better at, at digitally appearing uh, that we, we I, I think the long run, we're going to have a mix of the two. Yeah. Well, the reduction of barrier of entry, you know, yes. removing those problems. Yeah, I can I can see that both economically and emotionally, et cetera. All of that. Um, well, now let's talk about this. By the way, that's all fascinating. And uh, I, I'm in uh, I'm a huge admirer of what you do. So uh, kudos to you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Carry on my faithful son. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that you're an Edgar Award winning author of 10 novels, six of which are standalone uh, and four of which are Jason Coleridge series. Now, a couple things. That's no easy feat. So I'm very impressed, slightly jealous. There, I said it. Um, <laughs> You've had a pretty interesting career yourself, my friend. So. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got to hang out with big dogs like you, which is really, very, very, very cool. Um, as a sidetrack, I do want to ask, only because, again, I am admitting my ignorance that I don't know much about you, but I can say that after having read Look Closer, although my TBR stack is about to right here, yeah. I do want to investigate more of you because you have such a great style. Well, thank you. That being said, can you tell me, if I were going to read one of the Jason series, Jason uh, Coleridge, what which one would you be? Because I know I got I can impress you by pulling them all up here if I wanted to. Here we go. So we got the wrong man, breach of trust, the hidden man, and the last alibi. Sure. So they 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 can be read in any order, but okay. um, the first one is the hidden man. That's probably where I would start for a lot of reasons. Um, that was when I discovered Jason and I realized that for the first time I could write a series because my, my publisher, I've always had the same publisher of my solo books. It's Penguin. Now it's Penguin Random House. Mm -hmm. Um, they always want you to write a series, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a brand, you know, and if you like one, you'll go back and read the others, that kind of thing. And I never wanted to, because I always would crash and burn my characters by the end of the book. <laughs> and I thought there's nothing left of him to, to write a sequel. And that's how I like to do it. Um, but with, with Jason, he was, he had already crashed and burned. And so he was a really interesting character because he was kind of coming up from having from tragedy. And so I, I, I found that that gave him a life that I hadn't expected. And I told my publisher and they were very happy to hear it. Hey, I'm ready to do a series. I'll, I'll write about Jason. The Hidden Man's probably um, a good place to start anyways. It was nominated for the LA Times Book Prize. So it, it did, it got a lot of attention and that was great for the book. Um, it's it's how I got to know him was The Hidden Man. So I really love that book. The title is funny because it's a great title, but it's a title that I stole from an Italian book of mine. So my first book was called Line of Vision way back in like 99, 2000. And in Italy, they named it Lumo Nascosto, which was called The Hidden Man. And I always thought, what a cool title, you know? So I borrowed it uh, oh. many years later. <laughs> borrowed it from and, yourself. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that was great. And the funny thing is, is no sooner do I tell them that I'm ready to write a series than the following happens. So at this point, I'm in Springfield. So I spent a few years. 
I left Chicago. I lived in Springfield and I was the chief attorney for the Speaker of the House in Illinois. Um, so I was the top lawyer for the Illinois House of Representatives. And that's when a guy named Rod Blagojevich is the governor. And so, as you know, he was a pretty uh, interesting character. Right. And as I so I wrote the I wrote The Hidden Man and it was time to write my next book. But I was slowing down because Blagojevich was kind of at war with the legislature. And so we we're I was I was working 20 hours a day trying to keep up with everything Blagojevich was throwing at us. And my publisher said, uh, you know, why aren't you getting your work done? You know, where is the book? And I said, well, we've got this crazy governor. His name is Rod Blagojevich. And of course, at that time, nobody knew who he was before he got arrested. And they said, well, do you want to write a book about him? And I said, well, God, I just started this series. And I'm like, well, can you take Jason and somehow insert him into state government and base a book about somebody like this governor? And so I said, okay, fine. I started writing it, David. I was like three quarters done with a book that was probably kind of a character study of a guy who maybe started with good intentions as governor and the people around him maybe turned him kind of bad. And it was a slightly different book than I was used to. And then comes December 9th, 2008. And that's the day that we all learned at the same time that the governor of Illinois had been arrested by the FBI. And it was across every news channel. And as soon as that happened, you know, I was sitting at home that morning uh, and my sister-in-law from Dubuque, Iowa called and, and my wife answers and says, uh, she says, Dave, um, Angela is her name, my sister-in-law. Angela says, turn on the TV. And I said, well, I'm in Springfield, Illinois. She's in Dubuque, Iowa. What channel? And she she said, any channel. Oh, boy. So I turned on, I think CNN was on or something. And all yeah. of a sudden, the scrollers, Governor of Illinois arrested, you know, criminal crime spree, selling the Obama Senate seat. And at that moment, I knew that my book, which was loosely based on Blagojevich, had become not nearly as strange as reality. So reality had easily trumped my fiction. I threw the whole book in the garbage and I rewrote what became Breach of Trust, the second Jason book, based much more on what was really going on. Not not on the nose, but the same idea. Those wow, were, what a yeah. fantastic story. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. And then, then I did the impeachment. I was the, you know, the prosecutor in the impeachment trial because yeah. I was the lawyer for the house. So yeah. Yeah, it, those were some strange times. And the, the book writing took a backseat for a short time there. Well, and that begs this question. How long had you been secretly, well, I'm going to use air quotes, secretly writing before you went at it full time? You, you must have been, with this kind of a talent, you must have been, you know, scrolling away some uh, personal shorts or journals I, or something. Yeah. You know, I was a writer. I always tell people I was a writer before I was a lawyer, but then I stopped writing. I stopped writing in probably middle school, maybe freshman year of high school. You know, in high school, there was no curriculum for creative writing. And before that, I would write plays. I entered some contests in like grade school and I supposedly won those contests. Although when I look back, I think everyone who entered won. Um, at the time, I thought I was the big winner, but there were a lot of other big winners standing around with me too. So how was that possible? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it never really occurred to me, but but you know, you get older and I, I tell people this because if their kids want to write, I, I say to parents and grandparents, you may have to force them to do it. You may have to nudge them because school may not make them do it anymore. The curriculum is all changed. And so you know, in high school, I was an athlete. I was trying to get good grades with whatever they were putting in front of me to do, which was not creative writing. And I was chasing girls. And so, you know, those three things were all I cared about. And and I get to college, same thing. No one's asking me to write creatively. And then law school. And so then, you know, 
I'm, I'm sitting there as a young attorney is probably 1995, 94. And I have one of those moments where I'm like, we've all had, you've had these, I'm sure you've got a cocktail in your hand. You're watching the sunset. Yeah. Your toes are in the sand. It's a, it's a vacation. You're thinking about your life. Yeah. And I was like 30 then, not even 30. And I thought, you know, I always wanted to write a book. Why did I stop? Why, why, I had no good answer for that. I'm like, you want to do this. So I made a decision. I made a deal with myself. Not that I would give it a shot or I'd write a few chapters, but I was going to write a book. I was going to teach myself how to do it. And it might take me years, but I was going to see it all the way through. And it was secret, David. I didn't tell hardly anybody that I was doing this because the chances of failure were so high. But I said, you're not just going to think about it. You're going to do it. You're going to write it all the way, beginning, middle, end, and then you're going to try to get it published. And it took me three years to write, and I wasn't very good at first. Uh, that's Line of Vision, the one that, the one that won, ended up winning the Edgar. And back then, this was before the internet, right? I mean, I'm sending out cold call letters to agents, and I, was get, I got turned down by 75, 100 agents. Yeah. Um, I, I eventually, it took me a year and a half. I always say it took me 18 months to find an agent. It took me about 18 days then to find a publisher because we sent it to Penguin. They said, we love it. We want to do it. It won the Edgar Award and it took off from there. But, but I got rejected so many times. It was ridiculous. Like I had to rewrite my cover letter. I spent as much time rewriting that one page letter because, you know, David, it, <laughs> you can have the best book since War and Peace or To Kill a Mockingbird, which right. is but if your cover letter is no good, it's one of 200 they're getting that week. They're just yeah. going to toss it in the pile and not even see it. Yeah. Now, at least with email, I could have, in, in the modern era, I would have emailed my book and they might have read a first couple chapters. I might have gotten in a little quicker. But when it's just based on a cover letter, that better be a darn good cover letter. Yeah. Crazy. But dude, to, to shoot out of the gate winning the Edgar with your first book uh, the the fact that it took that long, notwithstanding, is really friggin' impressive. It was it was yeah. I mean, I'm I'm proudest that I saw it through and got to that point. And, and I, it was a good book, and I lived with it for so long. It reminds me of Look Closer because I had stopped writing my own books for a while when I wrote Look Closer, and so at the time I was writing it, there wasn't anyone immediately demanding, "Hey, when's that book coming?" Because I had kind of walked away from my publisher for a bit in a friendly way, but I had sort of walked away. And uh, that was the same with Line of Vision. Nobody knew I was writing it, right? Nobody knew who I was. And so it gave me time that I don't always have now to let it marinate, to change my mind about things. I wrote that entire book in the third person and changed it all to the first person. You know, I made decisions like that, which to take months to have to change. But um, but I had that luxury then because I had nobody breathing down my neck to write the next one. Wow. Well, folks, this would be a good place to take a short break. So when we come back and continue our conversation about Look Closer and David Ellis, we're going to be talking about, uh, for those of you who don't know who David Ellis is, he co-wrote with the guy that you probably have heard about. So, yeah, stay with us. We'll be right back. Your host, David Temple here. Hey, before we get back to the show, I thought I would throw in this one quick note. I have had authors approach me who want to actually advertise on the show. And I'm like, that's cool. I love that idea. I mean, think about it. We feature the best thriller writers in the world. You're one of the new up-and-coming thriller writers in the world to be. And you have a book coming out. Our rates are super reasonable. We're easy to work with, as you know, 
and we all want to work together to make success for all of us. Just reach out to us here at The Thriller Zone at thethrillerzone at gmail.com. Let's talk rates. Let's talk details. Let's do something together in the new year. I think you'll like it. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Dave Ellis. I'm the author of Look Closer, and I'm happy to be on talking with my friend David Temple on The Thriller Zone. back to the show. And we're back with David Ellis. I'm David Temple. We are on the Thriller Zone and we're talking about the book Look Closer, but the thing that we were talking about before we went to break is just about how amazing that you came out of the gate winning the Edgar with Line of Vision. But one of the caveats here that I think we need to talk about is the fact now there are people in both camps. Oh, I love James Patterson, who we're going to be talking about. Some don't like his style. I personally got turned on to him early on, and he became one of those guys that ignited something in my brain. Though His particular style, some reason, hit me just right. And I said, I, I can write. I can write. I can do this. And I started doing it. And it was based upon James Patterson. Here's my question. So you've co-written uh, co-written eight with him, which is just silly impressive. What has that? Tell my listeners what that experience has been like, because he's just a friggin' legend. Yeah, he is a genius, and he is the. I, I have no hesitation in saying the man's a genius, and and he always says, you know, we're not here to win awards. We're we're writing just fun little books. I mean, we're not curing cancer. We're not winning, you know, literary prizes. We're here to tell fun stories. It's all about the story to him. And when he talks about chapters of a book, he talks about them in terms of scenes. That's what he always says. I write scenes. I don't write chapters. I write scenes. Right. And I always think, David, you know, if you think of your favorite movies, and I don't care if they won Academy Awards, I just mean your favorite movies. There are probably movies where you could jump in at any point in time and you wouldn't care where you start, where you jumped in. You love every scene. Yep. Like there's no downtime in that movie that you love. True. Um, I can I could probably, if it took, if I took five seconds, I could probably rattle off five movies at least that would fall into that category, probably 10, where I like everything about them. Every scene is cool. There's no, you know, slow time. And that's what he wants. Yep. He wants every scene to have an exclamation point next to it. It could be scary it could be thrilling it could be heartbreaking it could be hilarious but he wants some big emotion and so yeah you know when people think of his style the main thing they think of is the short chapters right yeah 1200 words or less and yeah. if it's a, if it's a 1200 that's long so you're really shooting for more like a thousand and you know what he's doing there is he's forcing himself or whoever's co-writing with him to condense it you know, okay, let's maybe not spend three paragraphs talking about the color of the couch. Maybe we can describe the couch in a couple of words and move on and let yeah. the reader fill in the rest with their imagination, which is a great tool that you have as a writer is the reader's imagination. Sure. But, but let's get to it and let's make it tough or hard and let's do it fast and keep that pace up. So you think, oh, what's one more chapter? Okay. And the next thing you know, you're burning through those books. You know, I just read his autobiography, which I highly recommend. And again, it's just a collection of stories of his life, right? He doesn't sit there and say these long-winded things. He's like, these are things that happened in my life that I'm going to, and, and they, they tell a, a complete story of the man, but he does it through stories because that's his thing. He's a storyteller and they're all short chapters. And I couldn't stop. I just kept, okay, one more, one more. Next thing you know, I'm done with the damn book. Yeah, And it was hilarious. 
And uh, I, not, I mean, it was hilarious how quickly I did it, but that's his goal. And that's my goal too, is to always have you wanting a little bit more and knowing that the investment is just one more short chapter makes you more likely to take him up on that and to read it fast. Uh, it's, a, it's a kind of genius that people are copying now. And, and I make no bones about the fact that I'm heavily influenced by that. Um, I wrote, you know, look closer is like 460 pages and people hear that and they say, oh my God, that's going to take forever to read. Well, it actually doesn't because the chapters are short and tight and I don't hold myself to the 1200 words, but I come pretty close to it. I'll tell you. And if I'm at 2000 or 2200 words, I'm always thinking, do I need all this? Can I break this into two chapters? You know, because you're always thinking about the reader. Are you keeping the pace up for the reader? Are they... Are they yeah. thinking, oh, what's going to happen next? Because that's what you, if you're not doing that, you're doing something wrong, I think. I mean, at least, at least for these kinds of books. I mean, there's other kinds of books out there. But Patterson's very, he's very, he's an extraordinarily humble guy, which is crazy, right? I mean, there's no reason for the man to be humble, but he is. And he's very, um, very chill. He's extremely laid back. He's not laid back about the quality of the book. No. Like if, if something isn't working, if I send him some pages and it's not working, he'll tell me. Yeah, I want him to. And he'll tell me why it's not working. And those little nuggets have been very educational. I feel like I'm in class with him. You know, I, I know he taught one of those master classes like on Facebook or whatever. Like, you, I feel like I take that class every time I talk to the guy. I took his master class and I bet I learned more in one master class uh, online. And I just want to jump. Different. Yeah, I want to jump in here a couple of things. Uh, first of all, to praise him, because I mean, again, he's it's not literary fiction, but I don't. I personally don't read literary fiction. I don't read for those languorous, elongated stories. La 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 la. Yeah. I read because uh, between just volume of books to read for the show and etc. I just want to get through it. I want to. I want a thrill ride, man. Take me on that ride and get me going. So this is what this book does. Mm -hmm. Also, I think it's. I think it's brilliant. I think the fact that he learned that. Um, I'm going to call it code, method, methodology, mm -hmm. recipe. I think it's brilliant because he he was doing this before. Uh, I mean, he's been at it for so long and he's prolific. But before the real onslaught, the wave of so much competition to where now our, the competition for our minds and our eyes between streaming television, et cetera, we just we want more, more, more. So yes. I applaud him for that methodology. And lastly, that's what I dug about your book. And one thing you, you did this really clever thing. You might be having Jane talking or Jane's third person or whatever. Yeah. And, and it'll feel like just about the time it feels like it's getting a little long. You'll skip to the next chapter. Still Jane, you just broke the scene. Yeah. You and I love that. I'm like, because it does. Oh, well, I can go one more. Yeah, you know, you there's no reason you can't do that, and that makes it. If it makes a difference for the reader's enjoyment, then it's that's a reason right there to do it. And yes, I'll, I'll read other people's stuff sometimes, and they'll have a scene where, and let's just pick something like a stereotype: two people meeting in a dark alley with smoke coming out of the steam. You know. And, yeah. And and you know. I could have that scene begin like it really actually would begin, which is one person walks in and waits and the other person walks in, and then they talk and then they both leave. But why do I want to see all that? I don't need to see the entrance. I don't need to see the exit. And sometimes people will write this and I'll say, 
look, cut out the first 200 words in the last 300 and just, we know if they got there, they probably walked there. We know they're meeting. I mean, if there's something, if there's some reason to have one walk in and not know who the other person's going to be, fine. That's some nice drama. But if it's just two people meeting to talk, we we don't need the intro and the exit. You know, we don't see that in TV shows, right? They don't show all that in TV shows. And so, um, Mike Myers is good at making fun of that when he does Austin Powers and all these other, he may, likes to make fun of those techniques. And I, I think of that with writing too. Um, so I'll tell people just, I, I don't need to see them leave. I know they left. I know the next day the sun's come up and it's a new day. And at some point they left that alley. That's fine. You know, <laughs> and you got to remember those things, like just hit on the stuff where, okay, this would be the big moment. This is the big thing she's going to reveal. As soon as she reveals that goodbye. Yeah. Go to the next scene, even if it's in the same room with the same people, because then it, number one, it keeps the pace up. Number two, it, it makes you understand this was a big thing you just heard Yeah, right? from a plot standpoint. Okay. If you're ending the scene on that, that must be really important. And that impresses in the reader. Now I might be misleading you, right? This might be part of my misdirection in my yes. little game, but that's still a reason to do it. If you yeah. have a reason to do it, do it. My wife caught me out in the hammock in the backyard uh, for, uh, and we got family in town. So she was like, you want to come hang out with family? I'm like, yeah, but I can't put this book down. Give me just a couple <laughs> more pages. And, uh, you know, I just caught myself getting caught up at that moment. And, you know, there were a couple of points, by the way, in case you're wondering about, uh, here's a great example of white space for those looking at home, uh, watching the show, is you might have a couple of pages like that. So when you make the comment about 460 pages, Trust me, there's plenty of white space in there, so you're you're moving along quickly. But your characters were so well developed and so specifically different. And I I am not, oh my God. She said, What are you gonna say to David? I'm like, well, there's so many things I want to ask, but uh, there's so many questions that point directly at the spoiler. So I'm like, Yeah, this is one of those cases I have to step back and go, okay, David, do me a favor. Tell me what the book is. I mean, I love this line, which is on your website and it's on the book. Uh, the best lies are the ones closest to the truth, which I think is a brilliant axiom of life itself. But give me give me a thumbnail of the book that so that I won't ruin it for the people who are going to pick this up and read it. I, I know. You know what, David? It is the single hardest thing for me when it comes to this book is describing it to people. And I look at a lot of the reviews on you know Goodreads or Amazon, and a lot of them say, just go in blind. I don't want to tell you anything because anything I tell you is going to only be partly true. I mean, it follows the story of two characters named Simon and Vicky who are married. Um, and there are going to be, uh, okay, so Simon is a law professor. Vicky is a domestic abuse shelter counselor. And um, Vicky's had a very tough life. She grew up uh, as a runaway. So, and she had to do things to, that runaways have to do. Uh, she sold her body for sex. She was addicted to drugs for a while. Simon is a much more sort of uh, traditional, he's a law professor. He's got a bunch of money he's about to inherit, $10 million. Well, he's actually already inherited it, but there's a proviso in the money in the trust that says his wife can't touch it until he's been married for 10 years. And guess what? As the book opens, we're about to come on the 10th year anniversary of Simon and Vicky. Vicky has her eyes on the money. She has an affair. Simon has an affair. I'd like to call it a love triangle. It's probably more like a love rectangle. <laughs> and really, the book really works back over 
Uh, there's a murder very early on in the book. It's not a spoiler to say that one of these characters is is dead on page one. Yeah. And uh, we then work back and forward at the same time to see what happened. It really revolves around these four people, their motivations, their histories, their backgrounds, their their motivations will change over the book. Uh, what you think you understand about these characters and their relationships will constantly change. Yeah, um, I always say, I, I and I, I, another thing I saw in the reviews was there were so many holy, you know what moments in the yeah. book. That's what I wanted. I wanted four or five. You got to be kidding me moments. Yeah, uh, where it just turns everything, you know, ninety degrees, and everything you thought you were seeing now looks a lot different with this new piece of information. Um, so really, it's a it's a psychological thriller. It moves also, you know, the murder is on Halloween. We go back and see the events leading up to Halloween. We also follow a police detective after Halloween trying to piece together the clues. And I yeah. try to work all that in in a way that's, if it sounds complicated, I don't think it's complicated to read. There's a lot going on, but, you know, maybe that's why I had so many different chapters, which makes the book appear to be longer because it's just the sheer number of chapters. Um, but I try to make it all fit in a way that you are following it the whole time and just saying, you know, what could possibly happen next? And then something else possibly happens next. Well, dude, I, I, to say it. I, I, I just said, dude, and I'm your honor, your majesty, your holiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right, exactly. Give me the ring. I'll kiss the ring. Um, there you go. No, but seriously, I think I'm going to have to add this to my summer's top 10 summer must reads. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I thought I already had the list made, which I did. I was going to announce it here in August, but God, I've got to now either bump somebody out, move it to top 11 or something. But yeah. <clears throat> Well, thank you. That's a nice honor. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's been received. Well, I just need to get the word out, you know, uh, no. it's, I've taken a few years off. And so I, I, uh, you know, I certainly want to want to get it out as much as I can. I appreciate well, it here too. I'm going to say folks, it is stunning. All right. Now I would be a complete idiot if I did not mention this. I did not know this folks as I was uh, doing my research. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. David Ellis. Okay. Let's go investigate David Ellis.com. I pull it up. I'm like, Oh, that, that website looks kind of familiar. I scroll down to the bottom. Oh, it's hosted by authorbytes.com. Yeah. Well, now here's a great little thing. Uh, first I want to say you have great taste. Yes. Uh, not only do they host my site, but they're a prime sponsor of this podcast. Oh, they are. Oh, excellent. Oh, they're, they've been great. They've been great to work with. They, they make me look so much better than I would look without them. I mean, I, they save me from myself off and they stay on me when I don't get things done. They're, uh, they're true pros. They do great work. Well, you, you just, we're, we're turning this into a commercial. I can't help myself. It's yeah. must've been coming to my days from radio and pitching on QVC, but right. It's a handsome website. It's they they take care of all those silly little details that you that you would get yeah. completely mired in if it was up to you. Yeah. And it just flat out works. And P.S. If I want to keep keep the commercial motif, uh, anybody who signs up and uses the code, the Thriller Zone gets three months free with a one year contract. Hmm. There it is. There I did. See I'm what I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did see what you did. But see, David, you're happy, right? That's the bottom line. I'm very happy. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy with everything that I'm doing right now. It's, it's more, I, I, I've, I've, I'm writing the books I want to write. 
this is exactly the kind of book. It also happens to be kind of the hot thing in, in thriller fiction, but it's it, that's not why I did it. This is this is what I wanted to write. I mean, I walked away for a while, and when I came back, I said, I'm going to write what I want to read, and this is what I would want to read. This is the kind of stuff I love. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of walking on air right now, and I'm just I'm waiting for the bubble to burst. I hope it doesn't. I'm going to keep doing this as long as I can. Yeah, let's keep that power of intention toward positivity because, again, your honor, if this were, uh, this is an example of somebody who knows what they're doing and uh, it's just, I don't want to be that guy that just rambles on and on, so I'm going to stop it. It is friggin' good. All right, here's one question I want to do. Oh, by the way, uh, I do want you to tell our mutual friend uh, to wrap the bow on authorbytes.com. Tell our mutual friend, Ken Weisner, who yeah. you probably had some contact with. Yeah. You need to update your website for the appearance of this show, the thrillerzone.com, which will drop on 825. 825. It'll be there, I promise. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, he's great. He's a but genius. He is a genius. And yeah. uh boy can talk too, can't he? <laughs> he can. Um <laughs> I enjoy that. But yeah, handsome website. All right. Uh, uh, I'm going to refer to something you just said. You said, hey, books like this are hot right now. Is it because of this line that I'm going to use? I read somewhere part Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn, meets a Stranger on a Train, uh, Hitchcock. Is that what you mean by that? Uh, what do they call it? A um, unreliable narrator, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I... You know, it's funny because I've never been real big on putting myself into a niche. I mean, I used to write what you would probably call legal thrillers. And my early work usually would revolve ultimately around a a, a decisive courtroom scene, like someone's charged with murder and something big will happen at the trial, which I could do. And I, I like it. Um, I've been getting away from that more in favor of just the psychological suspense. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate those comparisons. I think they probably are pretty good comparisons. I did not come up with that, but I've heard it many times. Um, in fact, somebody just somebody just did a review in, in, a, in, a, in Criminal Element, uh, which is a magazine, an online magazine about this stuff. And uh, they, they compared it to the Gone Girl and they said, but it's more life affirming than Gone Girl, which I thought was funny because I'm not sure I've thought of this book as life affirming. <laughs> Um, but, but it's interesting that everybody's got their own takes, right? Huh. Yeah, no, I, I, the psychological thrillers are really big right now. And the thrillers that don't necessarily involve like a nuclear bomb's going to go off in Manhattan. If you don't catch the killer in the next 30 minutes, the ticking bomb sort of thing. Yeah. Um, that's not my style. That's never going to be my style. And I, you know, those are great books and I've read many of them. Um, I'm talking about, I, th- I think if I were to ge- generically describe this sort of thing that seems like it's hot, it's probably stuff that has less violence in it. Um, it's more just about the relationships and the psychology and, you know, what's going to happen next. And there's a little bit of gore and there's certainly crime, but it's not exploding helicopters. It's not even a lot of blood. Um, this book doesn't have very much blood at all. No. Um, it, but it's, it, you know, if I did it right, it's chilling, it's eerie, it's weird and creepy at times. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. That's yeah. what Gone Girl was to me. Gone Girl was surprising and creepy. Yeah. And really kind of ripped it like the inside emotions that people feel. And don't, you know, they, she kind of said the quiet parts out loud in that book, I thought. Yeah. And I, I, I want to do that too. 
Yeah, uh, that's a very well put. And I love the fact, you know, the, the because of the success of that book and the fact that it was so engaging, it did uh, perpetuate more of that unreliable narrator. And, yeah. and yeah. but but it works. All right. Um, and again, back to that line, the best lies are the ones closest to the truth, which is such yeah. a great reflection, not only of the collective conscious, but then I thought about you as a judge and I thought, oh, you're living, uh, you're living alongside that line every single day, aren't you? Every single day, in in every way. I mean, when lawyers try to present information to me on appeal, um, they are not hopefully lying because they're not supposed to lie, but they're definitely spinning, and they can leave things out and they can put a gloss on things, which is in some sense of the word deceptive. Yeah. I, I don't mean unethically deceptive, because if it's your lawyer, it's your case, you want your lawyer to tell the story that most favors you. Sure. But it's it's definitely, um, there's definitely something other than full truth and disclosure going on there, right? Yeah. Maybe deception is a little hard. Um, and then, of course, you know, within the, the criminal justice system itself, there's a ton of deception going on. You know, the police will deceive suspects sometimes to get them to confess. And of course, sometimes people won't be truthful with the police. But yeah, I, I deception is fascinating to me. And, you know, the way some of the deception takes place in this book was really enjoyable for me to write because you try to look at it, you, you know, some some of it is just stuff you take for granted you know, that ends up not being true, but you never even thought it might not be true. Um, and all of a sudden you're saying, well, who said that was true? I never said that was true, you know, or, oh, you assumed this. Oh, because she said this too, you just assumed it was true. Um, and especially if you're trying to con somebody else, you're focusing so much on that. You may not realize that they're turning the, turning it around on you. So it's all psychological stuff, but I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Deception is endlessly fascinating to me. And I'm really not a very deceptive guy in my life. I have a, a pretty boring, well, I'm not boring, but I'm a pretty straight up, straight laced guy. But I'm always, always uh, so fascinated by how people are able to not only be deceptive with others, but be deceptive with themselves. Um, people are really good at deceiving themselves all the time. Yeah. Um, so it, the, the, there's so much grist there. There's so much for me to talk about in that area. By no means am I done. Well, no, clearly before we get to rapid fire questions and start to wrap the show, I want to ask you this. And I ask this of all my authors and for, for a New York times bestselling authors yourself, Edgar award winning and so forth, you, and, and, and this kind of track record, I mean, you don't get into, you don't get invited to the James Patterson club if you're an idiot. What is your single, and you've kind of referred to it loosely throughout the show, but what is your best single piece of advice, especially to emerging writers? My best advice is to write as much as you can and read good literature What what in, in the genre you want to write. Just keep reading and soak in the good stuff. It, it's it's a it's a process that's very interesting that won't have a beginning, middle, and end. It will just sort of happen. Just read something that's really good, and then you know you'll start maybe even ask yourself, now how, look how they did that. Look how they drew me in with the character, not with something long winded, but with this. Or look at the devices that they used. If you just keep reading, it's gonna sort of happen. I mean, I didn't. I didn't know how to write. I didn't have any writing courses in my background. I just knew what was good literature and I knew how to recognize when my own stuff wasn't good enough yet. Yeah. So I just kept redoing it. And it's just a muscle. 
You know, you lift weights, you get bigger muscles. You write more, you get better writing muscles. And, you know, people, the biggest obstacle, David, is right here between your ears. Yeah. That is the biggest obstacle. Oh, it's not going to be good. I'm going to be embarrassed. You know what? Just write. And if it's not good, fix it or toss it and do better next time. But you're, you know, if you just let yourself be paralyzed by the fear that it won't be good, you'll never get that first draft that no one's going to read. Let them read the 10th draft. But it all starts with the first draft. So spit it out. Reach in and spit it out. Write as much as you can. Yeah. And I'm going to put a, a, a pin on that in that. Uh, <clears throat> and I said this to my wife when I was done. She she came in. I was kind of sitting over in the corner. And I just finished your book. And I'm and I'm like staring off into the distance. She goes, what's on your mind? I'm like, uh, David has now challenged me to look at, uh, I'm working on this particular story that I think is going to be the one that I'll debut going for an agent. And I said, he has now systematically without even knowing it, of course, changed the way that I perceive something. And I am now looking at my, my story that I've been toying with for some time with new eyes. Yeah. So I want to give you, uh, that kudos because great. You know, I, I often say, hey, I, I was talking to Chris Hardy one day and he does this little thing in his books. And, and, and I, I love the idea. I said, I'm not going to steal that line, but I'm going to steal that technique because we're all kind of doing that anyway. I mean, you, nobody's got anything original. So no, I, no, that is that is 100. What you just said is 100 percent true. We do that, but not in an unethical way. We don't like like my, my best ideas will often come on being inspired by someone else's art. It might be listening to a song. It might be reading. And, it, and I'll say, I was reading this really good novel and it gave me this idea. And people think that means that literally I'm taking the idea from the other book. That's not what happened. Right. It's just, they did something really cool. And I felt like a rush and I'm like, Hey, wait, I could do something really cool in this book. It's a, isn't that weird how that happens? It happens to me all. It's how I find most of my inspiration. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing that happens. And if you're awake, what I call awake and paying attention, those are morsels from the subconscious, the higher your higher self. That if you'll yeah. tap into that and listen, you're you're going to get a key to your success. So something you wrote triggered something in my mind to go, oh, let me look at it this way, and so it allows me this paradigm shift and only makes me better. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, that's really, that's, that's a great, I, that's, I'm very happy to hear that. That yeah. makes me feel very good that you said that. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. It is time. Rapid fire questions is just a silly little thing okay. that we have fun with. You're not going to get hurt. If you have, <laughs> if you've heard the show before, you know how we do this. That's what, I do. what is either on your TBR stack or your nightstand, a nightstand right now that you are currently reading and you're like, wow. I just started, well, I just started reading The It Girl by Ruth Ware. And so she's she's a bestseller. So I'm not I'm not breaking any new ground there. But everything she does, the way she presents information, even a, a sentence that would seem boring, she writes it in such a, a vivid way. She brings things to life in a way that makes me insanely jealous. Ruth yeah. Ware is amazing. Okay. All right. Fair good. All right. Uh, you are road tripping. All right. So when you're road tripping or riding... What artist or genre of music do you like to listen to? Usually rap, which surprises people. I, I like I like uh, I like Eminem. I like Rage Against the Machine. I like uh, A Tribe Called Quest. Um, yeah, when I'm all by myself, I'll usually something thrashy with some thrash guitar, maybe thrown in there too. Some Foo Fighters. 
I don't know why. You, that, you thought it was Yo-Yo Ma or something? I, you know, I was going to go with uh, uh, one of my favorites, Dave Brubeck Quartet for classical jazz, or, you know, you were going to pull some kind of a, you know, country reference or something. I don't no. know why, but just uh, that's, I love it. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? It's funny. Like my, my kids will listen to like Taylor Swift and I'll like, yeah, I like Taylor Swift. She's great. I mean, yeah. I don't. I, I, I used to be much more snobby about my music. Now, anything, you know, my, yeah. the hot hits that my kids have listened to, uh, great. I love them. They're great. I can see you right now with a lighter out in a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not anytime soon. But All right, number three, finish this sentence for me. On my next completely free weekend, all I want to do is blank binge a show on uh, a streaming series. I never get to do that. And I love that. I've got a recommendation for you. If you haven't seen it yet, let's hear it. The old man on Hulu or uh, could be on FX. Yeah. The Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges. I saw the, it looks great. Stunning. Stunning. Okay. Stunning. It's a, it's a full like season, like eight. Okay. Yes. Stunning. Oh, I, I saw a trailer for it. I saw a fight scene. Somebody posted a fight scene. You know, then Jeff Bridges has got to be what seventy five years old, right? At um, least it was. At least it was. It was. It was really. It was a very real and very cool fight scene, which is funny because you wouldn't think that. But. No, and he doesn't do all of the fights, but he does a fair amount of the fights, and because of the camera angles, you know that. And I've yeah. done worked in that business before, so uh, I'm very impressed. Uh, amazing. Okay. Fourth and final, what's the one writing experience you hope to have before handing in your keyboard? I would like to write, uh, I'd like to do a screenplay that has supernatural elements. Mm. I've never done supernatural. Patterson and I have talked about doing it. If, if, if I wanted to, he'd probably think up something for me, but because uh, he can he can do that in like a day and a half. He can come up with some idea. He's crazy. He's He's crazy, but yeah, supernatural, uh, you know, sixth sense, you know, Shyamalan sort of stuff. I I love Shyamalan. I do too. Oh boy. Okay. uh, Inside scoop. One day I want to meet James Patterson because I just think he's, he's a genius uh, beyond measure. So. Well, he would, he would certainly not present himself to you that way. He'd be wearing a baseball cap. He'd look like he just was fishing or something. Yeah. Well, He'll show up and he'll chat with you. And he's just, just, he's, he's just the most down to earth guy you'll ever meet. I love that. And here's another guy. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago as we kicked off our second year of the podcast is uh, Dean Koontz. And Dean was on the show and he could not have been more laid back, chill, nicest guy ever. He said, David, next time we do this, why don't you come up to my house in Newport? Let's just have lunch and talk about the podcast. Then I'm like, bam. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard he's, I've never met him. I've read a lot of his work. Well, let me just throw a little plug in here because if you want supernatural, jump into the big dark sky. Okay. That I I have not read one of his for a while, but his uh, early stuff, there's a couple he did that were just, they really knocked me off my feet. This one. uh, And I told this to him uh, after the show. And I said, Dean, there's something I got to tell you. You caused me to think a thought that in my 60 plus years had never thought before. And he's like, wow, well, tell me about that. And I told him, he's like, that is fascinating. And I'm like, it's because of you. So thank you. Yeah. What was the thought? It's a long story. I'll have to tell you off camera. Okay. Uh, (laughs) 
Folks, listen, if you want to learn more about my new friend, David Ellis, go to davidellis.com, a gorgeous website built and managed by our good friends at authorbytes.com. And follow him on Twitter at David Ellis Books. Dude, this was amazingly good. Well, you're the best, David, and uh, you're a true pro. And, you know, um, I'll be knocking on your door anytime you'll have me. This was well, great. I, I will have... Well, I'll have you back. And folks, again, the book is Look Closer. And uh, David, if you're uh, that new, this line right here, that is a that is a dream and an aspiration. New York Times, number one, New York Times bestselling author. I mean, that that doesn't happen easily. So thank you. Yeah, it's been great. It's, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. A lot of things have to come together uh, and, and hard work, hard work and luck. But also you have such a great solid attitude about it. And you, you, you're, what you're doing is you're living your passion. And I believe personally, as long as you're living your passion, your place of intention is clear. You're not hurting anyone. You're only trying to be better. You can't lose, right? I agree. And, and I don't, it doesn't feel like work. It's my vacation every day. When I spend those few hours writing every day before I become a judge, <laughs> uh, before my kids are awake and my wife is awake, uh, th th that's my vacation. I have vacation every morning. Yeah. Well, yeah. once again, David, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me, David. Just in case you didn't pick up on it, I am a big fan of David Ellis. Your honorable judge, David Ellis. Dave, as he lets me call him. Boy, what a great book Look Closer is, really. You think it's a little daunting because it's knocking on 500 pages, but it isn't. It moves so quickly that it's quickly going to rise up into the ranks of my top 10, soon to be top 13, books of the summer 22. So, David Ellis, thank you so much for spending time with us. I told him he has to promise to come back another time. Before I go, quick business to let you know about Authorbytes.com is the website of choice for a lot of authors out there. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Warwick's Bookstore, Warwick's.com. Another sponsor of the show. So happy that you're part of our show. Also, thank you for your letters and your reviews on Apple. Actually, uh, they're showing up in a lot of different places, but we appreciate that. You, uh, Some have come right through our website, which is thethrillerzone.com right there. I mean, it's so easy, right? So easy. Everything is right there. So thank you for that. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thethrillerzone, right? Because that really does help our show grow. All right, I got to get out of here. So until next time, I'm David Temple, your host, and I'll see you for another edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.